0: Welcome to the Editor's Monthly podcast of AJPH. This is Alfredo Moravia. I am the editor in chief. The date is September 4th, Labor Day, 2017. The special section of this issue is dedicated to the decline in life expectancy of whites living in rural regions of the United States because of suicide addiction to opioids and alcohol. The issue was raised in 2015 by Anne Case and Angus Deaton from Princeton, who attributed it to despair generated by the stifled future of American white working class. The issue gained new equity after the 2016 election because of the possibility that the same people whose health was compromised, had elected the new U.S. president. We will first talk to Beth Stein about her paper assessing whether the health of U.S. rural whites is declining and comparing this so-called epidemic of despair to the mortality trends among blacks and Hispanics. I will then ask Anna Diaz Roux, whether the interpretation given to current trends is not an oversimplification of what is really going on. Finally, I will discuss with associate editor Paul Irwin, who curated the special section, what is a hillbilly and what can be done about what is, whatever way one looks at it, a public health failure. I'm now calling Beth Stein, who is an MD with the Preventive Medicine Residency Program at the University of Wisconsin in Madison. Hello, Beth. Hi. Hi. Hey. Thank you for uh, being on this podcast. Where are you now?
1: I'm in Ithaca, New York.
0: Oh, great. So we're not too far then. Listen, Beth. Tell me a little bit about what prompted you to design this study.
1: Well, in the year before we started the study, I was working as a resident doctor with psychiatry patients at veterans' hospitals in Florida and Wisconsin. Uh, And my patient population was largely white, and they were relatively less educated. And around that time, Case and Deaton came out with their study, which showed that white Americans had rising death rates in recent decades, and they attributed the rise to increase in deaths from behavioral causes like suicide, alcohol, and drug use, especially among working class populations. And they, did, they described the deaths as despair deaths. Um, and I was really intrigued, because I was working with these populations and seeing firsthand the ravaging effects of opiate addiction and overdose and suicide and alcohol. So I was also really curious about what death rates would look like broken down by place because a lot of the patients I was seeing came from very rural and remote areas. And in addition to trouble accessing care, they had poor social support and a lot of cultural barrier- barriers to living a healthy lifestyle.
0: Let me ask you something Beth, did this uh, patient look like uh, what we call hillbillies? <laughs>
1: um, well, I mean, I yeah, I think it was also around the time when the twenty sixteen presidential campaign was ramping up and and that population was getting a lot of attention. Um I think there's a sense around the nation that these rural white Americans are being ignored and that they're angry and hurting economically and physically. Um so I wanted to explore the data for those themes um in the data and, and and from seeing these patients um face to face.
0: But I am asking because uh, I'm wondering uh, since you've seen the patient whether there are a, it's a caricature or not you know everybody is quoting now the hillbilly elegy you know this new book by Vance that came out etc so uh, is there a caricature of of this white uh, US population which is particularly suffering
1: I yeah I think I mean, having lived in Florida in rural areas in Florida, and then moving to Wisconsin, and now I'm in uh, upstate New York, and we see patients from northern Pennsylvania and around upstate New York. They're they're very different places, but I do see a lot of similarities in the patients, um, and they might fit in that what you describe as a hillbilly population. So even though they're from very different places geographically, they have a lot of cultural similarities and a lot of the same health behaviors um, that put them at risk for similar diseases.
0: Okay, that's, that's very interesting. And uh, so you analyzed mortality from 1999 to 2015, but, but many people have analyzed this data and the, the trends are well known. So why do you think that your specific analysis uh, has revealed whether or not there was an epidemic of despair?
1: So you're right. It's true. It's not news that certain white populations have increasing death rates. Um, but there has been controversy as to why. So recently, there's a study that came out from UC Boulder, and they countered Case and Deaton's study reporting that this unfavorable mortality trend in whites is not driven by despair deaths. And they say rather the trends are due to obesity and opiate-related deaths. Um, and so my goal was rather than argue about what classifies as a despair-driven death, we wanted to just display clearly and objectively what specific causes of death were driving the differences in the trends for populations by race and ethnicity and also by place.
0: Mm -hmm. And so uh, what did you find?
1: Well, we put together figures that show the causes of death responsible for the largest change in mortality trends in these different groups. And by looking at the graphics, you can quickly see big differences between these populations not just by race and ethnicity, but by where they live. Um, And we found that clearly U.S. whites are dying more deaths due to unhealthy behaviors. Uh, And some of the deaths included like overdoses and suicides. We saw increase in whites in all the places, urban, suburban, and rural. But the deaths were increasing more in rural areas. Uh, Also, what we saw is that in the more rural areas, Overall, death rate increases in whites were more pronounced. Um, and, you know, looking at our data, you can see that's because they have additional increased deaths from diseases related to obesity and smoking, like heart disease and respiratory diseases. And I would argue that people who continue to struggle with unhealthy behaviors like smoking and poor diet and sedentary lifestyle, to the extent that they're dying before age 65, I would argue that that's a despair-related death
0: yeah it's probably very difficult to disentangle right the, the different causes including obe- obesity mm-hmm. and um, how what are, what is the situation for the other for minorities like blacks and, and Latinos how are they doing in rural areas compared to uh, more urban areas
1: uh, let's see they are not doing quite as well in rural areas their death rates, Decrease less in rural areas and in urban, but um, as a whole, Hispanics and blacks had large decreases in their death rates in the last 15 years. Um, they had some increases in despair deaths, like overdoses, but the increases were really subtle relative to whites. Um, mostly they had large reductions in chronic disease, vehicle collisions, and HIV deaths. And it was those reductions driving their striking decreases in their overall death rates.
0: And and could you have uh, predicted this on the basis of your clinical experiences?
1: No, I think it's really hard to see trends when you're in a room with a patient. And one thing that's really important to emphasize is we looked at changes in death rates over 15 years, and the trends are more favorable for blacks and Hispanics. But if you look at discrete points in time, it's not... Such a pretty picture, especially for Black Americans. Um, so their overall death rate has continued to be much higher than white populations, and um, mm. over the last fifteen years, it's fallen steeply, but it's still about fifty percent higher than whites.
0: And what drives the mortality among blacks?
1: The mortality decreases.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: They. It was mostly what we found was HIV death reductions, motor vehicle accident reductions, and then in the more middle-aged black population, it was just really big decreases in chronic diseases, while white populations did not have those large decreases in chronic diseases. And in some places, such as rural areas, white population actually had increases in chronic diseases, which you shouldn't be seeing in this day and age when, when you're getting better and better care for heart disease and cancer.
0: I see. And so, what's your conclusion? I mean, your, your personal conclusion? Is there or not an epidemic of despair among U.S. whites?
1: Uh, I think that. Sorry. <laughs> Let's see. Um...
0: I mean, just what do you feel about it? I mean, when you, you've written this paper, analyzed those data, seen the patient. What's your personal feeling? Not not the conclusion you drew from your evidence, but overall?
1: I think there's there's definitely something happening. Uh, There's definitely an epidemic of deaths due to these unhealthy behaviors. And it coincides with whites not enjoying the same upward mobility as some other groups. And what's really striking, not in our paper, but if you look at Case and Deaton's paper, is to see the differences between... American whites and other developed nations. So um, what you see is that white populations are the exception to the rule because the rest of the developed world uh, is having these giant reductions in mortality that's enjoyed by U.S. blacks and Hispanics, and whites are being left out of that. And it's possible, I think racial inequities continue to persist in the U.S., and but overall, social and economic conditions are improving for black and Hispanic populations. But whites, especially whites outside of urban areas, it seems that they're not enjoying um, these improvement in social and economic conditions. And I think their are increasing premature deaths from despair-related causes coincides with that.
0: Yeah, that, that's a very strong argument. Uh, thank you, Beth. I mean, thank you for your time. Thank you for this nice study. And uh, all the best. Thank you. Let's call now Anna She She's Dean at the Dornsife School of Public Health in Philadelphia. Hello, Anna. Hello. Hey, how are you this morning? Good. Great. Where are you now, Anna?
2: I'm in Philadelphia.
0: Mm-hmm. And how's the weather?
2: It's uh it's kind of uh, cloudy and rainy.
0: But uh, okay. <laughs> we should come to New York. You know the weather is much better. <laughs> All right, I will. <laughs> so tell me, Anna, uh you know, in 2015, when uh, Anne Case and Angus Deaton published that paper on the evolution of mortality and morbidity in the 21st century, it was quite a shock because they, they showed this decline in life expectancy among US whites. I want to, for most of us, you know, this was new, but I want to know, you've been following this situation. Was this something uh, that surprised you?
2: Yes, well, you know, there had been, I think, a a couple maybe of prior papers that had begun to suggest that uh, mortality was, surprisingly enough, evolving unfavorably in some groups, in some social groups in the U.S. So it was not a complete surprise, but I think what was quite striking about, about these data was the fact that there was a documented um, significant increase in mortality in this in this group of uh, lower education uh, whites and this was this was very striking because you know as you know mortality rates in general you know we've been accustomed to declines over time and in virtually every group and and in, and 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 you know in, in a very general way and so Seeing this increase in this group, particularly in a wealthy country like the United States, um, I think was, was very striking and that's why the, it got so much attention. And, and I think also the fact that it could be, that it could be, um, linked to, you know, very, in, in a pretty, pretty clean way to deaths, increases in deaths from drug overdose, and uh, alcohol um, and and suicide. So I think that's what made it, you know, a very striking uh, observation.
0: Mm -hmm. And and their uh, uh, interpretation as being uh, an epidemic of despair, I mean, you just mentioned because of these different uh, causes of death. Uh, You say in your editorial that it's still a a simplistic explanation. Can can you explain this to our readers?
2: Yeah, sure. I think... um, you know, I think what was has also been very interesting uh, in sort of watching this the emergence of this observation and how it's been how it's been picked up um, in the in the press in particular um, uh, has been that you know there was a a, a, a very quick uh, emergence of a causal explanation, right? Even from a very simple descriptive analysis. And as you know, many times in public health and epidemiology, we struggle with that. You know, how, how quickly can we make a causal attribution based on an observation? And yet in this case, the causal ab- attribution to, you know, an ep- the so-called epidemic of despair was, was, was quite, um, rapid. So, um, and, and that sort of the causal narrative that evolved was that um, that you know, this particular social group had had been subject to um, you know frustrated economic expectations, which led uh, over over their life course, uh, uh, which led to despair, um, you know, stress, and then these associated you know increase in uses of drugs and alcohol and, and suicide. And certainly, I mean, I'm sure there's there's some truth. To that explanation. But I think the reason why I, I say that it's a bit simplistic is that it, it, you know, we need to explain all of the patterns that we see. And in particular, you know, be some interesting questions are, well, why have not, have we not seen the same phenomenon in, in, in African Americans or in Latinos who, who we know have been subject to similar kind of frustrated economic expectations? Um mm-hmm. uh, and so so figuring out you know putting this in context and coming up with perhaps more um, more 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 comprehensive explanations. you know, it, it might be despair interacting with overprescription of opioids in particular contexts. And so seeing the bigger picture, I think is is really important in terms of completing this this causal story.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are two very interesting things what uh, you say. First of all, you say if it had happened, among a, a minority, uh, the same phenomenon maybe people would not have uh, accepted uh, this type of explanation so rapidly. This is what you mean. I mean, the, the fact that it's U.S. wide was a striking aspect.
2: Yeah, I think it was. You know, it was uh, it was surprising. You know, it was, a, it was it was something. You know, we we are very used to seeing. Um, data in, in the newspaper or in publications that show these enormous differences in health between blacks and whites or between, you know, lower uh, social class and higher social class groups. And yet, because we're so used to seeing that, we sort of naturalized it, you know, it's become, oh, this is kind of natural. This is sort of the way the world is and we expect it. And so we don't really question it as much. And we don't really think about the fact that we are creating these differences by virtue of the way in which we organize and run our society and, uh, and relate to each other. And, and so because those things have become sort of incorporated, uh, you know, there's a tendency not, not to question them anymore or even to, you know, do other kinds of attributions, you know, for example, particularly with race differences, you know, one of the things that always continues to emerge in the press is well, the first thing that jumps to mind is, well, these are biological things that must be genes, you know, it can't be, um, it can't all be other factors. And, and I think one of the interesting things about this observation about this increase in lower educated whites is that because it's a new thing, it's a little unexpected, it's it, it provides an opportunity to to sort of highlight the relevance of the social and economic context to health in general, and and you know that's clearly affecting the health of these uh, uh, lower educated white, whites, but that's also explaining these you know very large differences that we continue to see between blacks and whites or between higher and lower social class. Um, Persons and, and so it's an opportunity to really, you know, highlight the relevance of these factors and think about, well, what are the, the policies that we really need to improve health and reduce health inequities overall?
0: Yeah, that's, that's a very great exp- uh, observation. The, the other aspect that, that you touch is, uh, you know, the, the mortality among blacks is still uh, much higher than that among whites. So uh, do we have an explanation for that? <sighs>
2: Well yeah I mean I think that you know when I was uh, uh reading the very interesting paper I think one thing that that also struck me in some of the tables they have is that if you if you really take a look at you know the magnitude of the increase in in the in in whites you know it it's it's certainly striking and important but if you compare the size of it to the size of the difference between blacks and whites it's you know it it, 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 it the size of the of the race differences all overwhelms that that difference and so you know, why we have that difference continues to be a, a very, um, you know, challenging, uh, issue. And I think it's, it's probably a combination of many factors operating together. And, but certainly I think what's very clear is that a driving, you know, a, a dr- driving, driving the differences are these upstream factors, um, that have to do with, with social, conditions with economic conditions with racism that are affecting many 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 different health related processes and generating many many differences in, in health outcomes which is you know what we see in, in the in the black white difference for example mm-hmm.
0: and the the other uh, aspect that uh, in, in this data which which i found amazing is uh, the the low level of mortality among latinos and let me explain to you because when you talk with people in these regions you know they seem to say well, the Latinos are, are, are taking the, the jobs, you know, that none of the whites want to do. So they seem to have a, a very low socioeconomic status in, in those areas. And still, they live the longer, uh, longest among those three uh, uh, groups. So how do we explain that?
2: Well, that's, you know, that the, um, the lower mortality rates, and in some cases, in some cases, because it's not across the board, but in some cases, better health outcomes among Latinos uh, compared to other group, uh, race and ethnic groups in the U.S. has been something that's been observed for you know many, many times and there you know there're a bunch of different uh explanations that have been put forward over time the, the first one being simply that it's an artifact you know that 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 particularly for mortality rates in Latinos that there was an inadequate you know counting of deaths among Latinos for a number of reasons and so death rates were underestimated i think the that is a is a driving explanation i think has been has been pretty although it could contribute in some cases it's been it's been not, certainly it's not a main contributor the other uh the other big factor uh, that has been uh, put forward has to do with uh selection right so migrants many latinos are recent migrants and therefore we know for a number of reasons that migrants tend to be healthier and as they spend more time in the U.S., their health deteriorates, and that, that's been observed as well among Latinos. Um, the other important thing is that, you know, the, this, this lower rate among Latinos is not observed, a uh, lower death rate, and is not observed in all Latino groups. So there's quite a bit of difference in the different groups of Latinos that have to do with their history, with the reasons why they came to the U.S., with their social and economic circumstances, with, so so there's a lot you know there's heterogeneity there that we shouldn't ignore and and then then last you know some people have argued that there may be social and cultural factors that protect the health of latinos for other reasons um, including things about the neighborhoods that they end up living in for example so it's probably again these these patterns um you have to be careful not to simplify things too much right and these patterns probably emerge from a whole bunch of factors Acting together, um, and I think that that those you know it's probably the lower the better health on Latinos is probably resulting from a combination of many of those factors.
0: Absolutely, yeah, and and uh, and we used uh, very crude uh, categories in terms of racial and ethnic groups. This is absolutely for sure, right?
2: Yeah,
0: Anna, thank you very much. Thank you for your time, and uh, have a great long weekend.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Alfredo.
0: I'm now reaching Associate Editor Paul Irwin, who is Professor and Head of the Department of Public Health at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. So, Paul, you have a first-hand experience of the epidemic of despair, don't you? Well, first-hand
3: experience in two senses. One in the sense that uh, it's where I grew up, and, and second, it's where I live and work now. In my firsthand experience in, in growing up there in the southernmost extension of the Appalachians in North Alabama, from the time of my youth there in the 60s and 70s, I have seen the transition away from manufacturing and textile and the small family farm, where there used to be a textile mill where I worked the graveyard shift during breaks from college, which had employed generations of hardworking people in stable jobs, is now a vacant lot. The jobs formerly taken up by many of those who did not go beyond high school, such as in the chicken chicken processing plants, are largely taken by Hispanic immigrants because they are the only ones willing to do that work. So... This epidemic of despair is
0: connected to this uh, economic crisis. I mean, how do you explain that it seems to really touch more uh, U.S. whites and other communities w- which are also affected by the economic uh, trends?
3: Well, I'm not an expert in uh, the labor market, but it certainly is associated with uh, unstable Uh, employment certainly some of of rural America is uh, is indeed doing as as poorly as the articles suggest but but not all Appalachia is what we have called ground zero for the opioid epidemic from North Alabama to Maine there are some counties in East Tennessee where the rates of neonatal abstinence syndrome, the withdrawal syndrome of infants born to mothers using or given opioids during pregnancy is 10 times the national rate. While not all rural areas are similarly impacted, particularly in the, in the West and Midwest, there's enough of a population effect that shows up in the data as decreasing life expectancy. Ten years ago, we talked about our children experiencing shorter lives than their parents because of the obesity epidemic. Now it is young adults to middle-aged people experiencing the decline in life expectancy in rural life.
0: And we often hear the term uh, hillbilly to characterize uh, people who live in these areas.
3: What's a hillbilly? Well, stereotypically, a hillbilly is a barefoot, toothless, overall clad person in Appalachia with little or no formal education, scraping by on a one mule farm with six children. It has also come to mean just about anyone living in rural areas. But it's a term now that's that's, um, that's a derogatory term that um, is, is not a welcome term.
1: Alice Brown, he lived on the outside of town Hollis Brown he lived on the outside of town with his wife and five children and his cabin broken down
0: So it doesn't really characterize the situation I mean, because the the description you give uh, you gave is really uh, of, right. of extreme poverty, right? But so why why is this book called The hellbilly elegy?
3: Well, I can't fully explain why the author chose that title, but uh, it is um, it is a story of uh, of that experience of um, uh, of an experience out of a stereotypical upbringing in uh in rural uh, appalachia uh where uh where the author lived the life that um is stereotypically described by by the the term hillbilly uh, a very unstable family situation right. uh, very unstable employment opportunities low educational attainment until he himself broke free of that
0: and so uh paul what are the assets of rural America. I mean, is is drug addiction, alcoholism, suicide, you know, so prevalent that those communities have a very bleak future? Or are there aspects on which, you know, uh, public health can build, you know, to actually uh, uh, stop or reverse the current trends? Well,
3: despite the, the stereotype of the label hillbilly, There there are many assets of of people living in Appalachia and other rural areas, a profound love of place, a resiliency and even stubbornness um, with the attitude that we can beat this, a trust in and respect for kin, a deep commitment to genuinely caring for your neighbor. These are all assets that public health can build on to provide a comprehensive um, slate of, of efforts to address the opioid epidemic. and Those comprehensive efforts must span the, the full spectrum of primary, secondary, and tertiary prevention uh, in, in order to um, turn the tide on them.
0: Thank you very much, Paul, Thank for you, this, Alfredo. and have a good day. This concludes this October podcast. Thank you for listening. I'm Alfredo Moravia at AJPH. You can follow us on Twitter and for more podcasts, including podcasts in Chinese and Spanish, visit us at ajph.org. Produced by Francis Jacob, the music of this podcast credits HMS and TBX on vocal as well as Digit Taiwan Wayne, Z for Drums Loop. Those are people who post their work royalty-free on the web for anyone to use. We do appreciate their talent and generosity.